The closing lyric of that song, So Will I, comes to us from Luke chapter 15. The one who will never leave the one behind. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We'll be beginning at verse 11. Um, but one thing to note is that this story, a familiar one, is, the, is in a series of three stories that Jesus gives. And where it starts in Luke chapter 15 at verse 1 is that there were tax collectors and sinners, reputationally bad people, who were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Because there is something about Jesus that people were drawn to him, people that would not be welcome in public places of worship felt drawn to Jesus. And when that happens, when Jesus draws that crowd, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in verse 2, it says they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells a series of three parables about the one who was lost. Just the one against ten, against a hundred, who is worth pursuing and worth saving. And so Jesus tells the story of a lost sheep, of the lost coin. And he also tells the parable of a lost son. And so this is the story in Luke 15, 11 through 32, that many of us know by the title, The Prodigal Son. And if you've been in church a little while or a long while, you are familiar with this story. Because this is a story that is familiar even beyond church. People refer to the prodigal son as a a cultural idiom, even without knowing that it came from Scripture. It even found its way into Marvel movies. In Iron Man 3, Tony Stark says, well, I'll be darned, the prodigal son returns. No reference to being from Luke 15, but we know this as a cultural idiom, the prodigal son. The one who is lost and is found, just as we sang in Amazing Grace. So as you hear this story, I have an operating assumption that that some of you in the room have done a Bible study on this text before and have learned valuable things about it. I have an assumption that there's some familiarity with the narrative arc of this story and that there's some things that you've learned about this text that aren't going to be shared today because there is so much written about this story in Luke 15, this parable, uh, that we just can't cover it all today. So today might be one of the least interesting sermons you've ever heard. But it also, at the same time, might be one of the most important Bible readings that we do. It might be one of the least interesting sermons, but it might be one of the most important Bible texts to read prayerfully and slowly. Because the story of the lost son, or I would really say the lost sons, for they are both lost in different ways, is referred to as the gospel within the gospel as the way in which Jesus is describing God's love for the world. Jesus is articulating God's desire for our redemption in this parable and is calling us the two different types of lostness that we might experience. That this parable is for both kinds of lostness. 
So today, listen for the word of the Lord and pay attention to who's lost and maybe pay attention to who's prodigal because in most Bibles, it's not referred to as the prodigal son in the subheading. It's the parable of the lost son or sons because prodigal, although we associate it with this, with this parable, prodigal does not mean wayward or returning, even though that's how we use it culturally. Prodigal, by a Webster Dictionary definition, is recklessly extravagant, one who just pays money out, or having spent everything. Pay attention for the recklessly extravagant grace of the Father in the story to connect to Jesus' heart in telling this story to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So as we come to this familiar text, let's read it with fresh eyes, not from our own brilliance or intellect, but because we ask God's Holy Spirit to dwell with us in the reading of the Word. Let's pray together. God, speak fresh to us. Whether these words are familiar, that we need you to whisper in our ears to bring them to life, or whether they strike us as new and profound today, and you need to touch our hearts that the impact of your gospel story is not lost upon our life and practice of faith. Whatever the case may be, speak to us, O Lord. Send your Holy Spirit that, that the words on the page or the pixels on the screen are living and active because you, O Christ, the living word, are active in the written word. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. a familiar story. It's used as a cultural idiom, as I've said. We refer to the prodigal son as the wayward one who comes back. It's been the subject of artwork throughout different centuries, and a particularly famous example would be Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son. It's a familiar image Even if it's not this particular painting, we've seen it depicted in different ways. And here we have one lost son returning, being embraced by his father, and another lost son looking on in disgust with some contempt for the grace that has been shown to the younger son some judgment of the father's actions and feeling that the world has just been a little bit unjust to him because of the grace that was shown to his brother. Where do you find yourself in the painting, in the parable? Who do you identify with most? These are questions that almost any Bible study of this story will lead us into. To wonder what it's like to encounter grace freshly, to savor that moment where if you've grown up in the church might feel less familiar, but what some would describe as that that conversion moment of, of feeling the grace of God pouring over them, to identify with the younger son in that way, 
of experiencing forgiveness and grace, and in the season of Lent where we talk about God's longing for our repentance that leads to redemption, that this parable and this image is one of redemption being offered and redeemed. Not just the offer, but the redemption of the offer. And also, we might find ourselves with a bit of the chip on our shoulder, like the older son, who basically says, I've worked hard, I've done everything right. And that makes the grace that you're showing to that son of yours. He does not say that brother of mine, but that son of yours. It seems unfair. There's judgment. There's a sense by which the older son holds a certain conviction and belief that the younger son no longer belongs at home. We can also read the parable and identify something of the father. Whether you're a parent or not, this longing for redemption, for for bringing everyone home again, longing for wholeness, for unity. And the story, as most parables do, seems to end pretty abruptly. That we don't actually know if the older son ends up going in to the party or not. We don't know if he forgives his brother. Perhaps we suspect a, a Cain and Abel type moment is a risk in the near future. But what we do know is this. Both sons are lost. And the father is a rather prodigal character in being recklessly extravagant, giving away that which he has. And we understand and can see some of this within the, within the younger son. And, and some of the impact of the words that, that when Jesus first shared this parable, and remember, who is he sharing this parable with? The Pharisees. The Pharisees who are rather indignant, identifying with some older brother mentality as these younger brother figures, these tax collectors and sinners, these reputationally bad people are here with Jesus. Jesus tells this story for the Pharisees. And that that brings with it a word of caution for us, that the Pharisees have always been, as they understand it, as the Jews, they've always been God's people. And so to see these other people coming is, is almost distasteful. And we should be cautious as a church, always, always vigilant of celebrating the grace that God gives to us, of celebrating that in worship, but also watching ourselves against, over time, passively taking for granted God's grace, beginning to feel entitled to it, beginning to feel good about how faithful and diligent we've been, and becoming the older brother Pharisee figure over time, where we develop a distinct sense of who belongs at home and who does not. And this is not to cover up any of what the younger brother did that was wrong. In fact, just even the words that that begin the younger brother's narrative, Father, give me my share of the estate, 
When do you get an estate from your parents? When they die. And so, as, as Jesus' audience, especially as the Pharisees hear this, one thing that would be clear, one thing that would have some shock value for them in the first time this parable was spoken, was for a son to say to his father, give me my share of the estate, is to say, you are dead to me. You are dead to me. And I don't really care about you or my relationship with you. What I really care about is your stuff. And I want to go and find myself in a spirit of self-discovery. This would be shocking words for the son to say. This would be shameful. And to note that the father is actually under no obligation to grant this son's request. That he actually, by custom of the land, he, he could have beaten him or even disowned him for such a reckless request. But the father, being extravagant, divides the property between them, which means to divide this the way it would need to be divided, he had to sell some of his real estate, some of his fields. He had to give up land to be able to give the son his share of the wealth. We might even judge the father for doing this. It seems like an unwise choice. And this is part of Jesus' point. That God does give gifts to everyone, even those who we may seem to think are squandering them. And it doesn't turn out well for the younger son as he goes off and, and pursues self-discovery self as a way to find happiness, as he abandons his family, as he actually leaves shame on his father by abandoning him, that, that this would change the way people in the community would judge that father because he lost one of his sons. And yet, he goes. But when he returns, we shouldn't lose sight of the ways in which the older brother is also lost. And in fact, the ways in which the older brother also brings shame upon his father, even though it might be a little bit more subtle to our ears. After, he, after the younger son comes back, after the feast has been had, and we'll come back to that, the older son is in the field being diligent, being faithful to both farm and family. And he does not go in. He becomes angry in verse 28 that he refuses to come in. This also would bring shame on the father because for the father to host a banquet, his family and the most important people around him, those closest to him, those most esteemed, should be at his side. And the older brother refuses to go in, which also would have some shock value of this would be a shaming act upon his father for the older brother to do. And then the way he answers his father, the look, it's kind of a look here, you. And he tells him his case. He makes a very logical case that all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders yet you've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, not my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You are always with me, 
and you have everything I have. Just as the father would be embarrassing himself by hiking up his robes to run and go and greet the younger son when he was still far off, you don't run like a little kid hiking up your robes, having your legs showing so you can run and greet someone. The father would embarrass himself by running out to go visit his younger son while he was still far off. In the same way, the father would embarrass himself by leaving his own party, by having to walk out and plead for his older son to come in. In both cases, the younger and the older brother are embarrassing their father. And the party that's being thrown here is one of rejoicing and has one other cultural element to it. This is a public reinstatement of the younger son as a member of the family. So it is, as we would read it plainly, it is a party, it is a celebration that the wayward child has come home and that there is signs of redemption and that he was lost He could have been dead for all we know, but he's here now and he's with us. It is that. And it is also a public reinstatement. It is a community celebration that he's here. Which, if you have siblings and you're doing some of the math here, you may begin to wonder, does this mean that that the property is going to be divided again? That the younger son took a bunch of the wealth already and now that he's back and is being publicly reinstated and celebrated as a son of this father, the older brother just might be wondering, am I going to lose even more on this? We already had to sell fields for him to go squander his wealth. How much more is this younger brother of mine going to take? How much more grace is that brother going to be shown? And it's not about the grace for the older brother. It's about what he's going to lose. It's a cross-armed moment. It's a moment of anger, of stepping foot down, saying, I cannot celebrate this son of yours coming home. The grace of the Father is extravagant. And it might seem just a little bit unfair to that older brother. The younger brother didn't even come back to get reinstated. He came to serve his needs, finding out that self-discovery was not the best way to find happiness and meaning in life. In the same way, the older brother is finding out that moralism, not, not being moral, but moralism is not a way to find happiness and meaning in life. Very careful to make a distinction here that that to be moral is a good thing. But what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees is we've, we've now delved into moralism where we believe that our righteousness, our faithfulness is enough to save us. And that's where we find meaning, meaning and happiness in life. And that's deteriorating in front of the older brother. Because grace is a great mystery. As Jesus tells the parable, we don't know what happens next. And we're not meant to. Because this parable is offered to the Pharisees, those who are used to doing the right thing, those who are used to working hard and are just wondering, why can't this younger brother get it together? 
as all of this is happening, Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees, almost asking them, how might they respond? Do they want to respond with grace or not? The younger brother represents the entire book of Ecclesiastes in his journey. He goes off, tries to find what would be best in life, and he ends up coming back anyway. The older brother is every example of Israel trying to live by the law and then failing and still realizing that there is need for a grace, for a savior. Both sons are lost in different ways. In the season of Lent, one where we take time to be prayerfully thoughtful, to observe areas in our lives that need repentance, not repentance that leaves us in shame, but repentance that leads us towards redemption, towards experiencing the warm embrace of knowing that we are home and that we are welcomed home. Where do we find ourselves? Maybe we feel just some camaraderie with the younger son of some habits that need to be attended to. Maybe we catch some of our own moralism and Pharisee tendencies of the older son wondering, does that one really belong here? I've done better than they have. Maybe even identifying with the father makes us realize that we might not be so quick to extend grace. And in fact, it would be hard to extend the kind of grace that the father has. And that is also part of Jesus' point, that God's love shatters our expectations and our confinements of what it should be. Both sons are lost. The father has to bring shame and embarrassment on himself to bring both of them back, to approach both of them. In the same way, Jesus, as we'll celebrate on Holy Week, will die upon a cross, bringing public shame upon himself for our benefit, whether we're a younger or an older son that's lost. How do we make sure that people can find a way back home? To know that... There's sometimes pain when people come back home that we don't even recognize them. For us in the church, we might sometimes forget to recognize that every human being who walks in these doors was created in the image of God. But we might not recognize them so quickly as such for their value. This past year has been one full of of growth and, and bringing people that we might not recognize so quickly certainly through the crossing and subsequently of crossing kids also being here for Wednesday night for which we rejoice and also sometimes brings up within us some older brother type feelings. And yet the Father's grace is big enough for both sons. Not everyone has a home that they feel welcome in. That's what the younger son experienced when he was feeding pigs, which would be an unclean, not, not just literally unclean, if you've ever worked with pigs, but also ceremonially unclean, which would make the Pharisees turn their noses up a bit. 
The son realizes that he no longer has a home to be welcomed to, so he longs to go back. I wonder what it would be like to not feel welcomed home. Or to be like the tax collectors and sinners that were gathering around Jesus, to not feel that they were welcome in worship. I've always grown up experiencing church as a place where I was welcomed to come home to. The first Sunday back after my senior year, after Christmas break, being back at North Holland, what Caitlin and I both said, we experienced being welcomed home. It was like being home to be back at North Holland after break. And that was what led us to send my profile here in the first place. I've always experienced being welcomed home at American Reformed Church in DeMott, Indiana. I wonder what it would be like to not be welcomed home. And how much of our effort and energy in the church should, in fact, be focused on those who do not know what being welcomed home feels like. Where do we draw the line on who we actually wouldn't welcome home as quickly as we think we would? Experiencing love of parents, something we can take for granted, just as the older son takes for granted that everything the father has is his. I know one thing that my parents and their, their love for my siblings and I always is represented in is they're always making a way for us to come back home, sometimes in extravagant ways. For a if there's a car that's broken here, it seemed like then my parents decided to drive two vehicles up to leave one for me so that I could go back to officiate a funeral. Since right now, Caitlin and Ada and Ben are in Indiana, um, my parents let me borrow a vehicle to come back here. They happened to lend me their Mustang, which I would say is rather prodigal of them. And as some of you know, they lent it to me to go to New York, and we found out later on in the year that it was on storage insurance the entire time we were gone. Whoops. Since my mom was having hip replacement, she never thought twice about putting the Mustang off of storage insurance, and I just drove it to Warwick, New York, and New Jersey, Princeton, and then came home. Whew. Glad nothing got squandered there. It's extravagant, though, isn't it? And even hearing that, even, you know, some of you hardcore Chevy people are shaking your head, what's a Mustang? But, um, but, but, but probably the majority are saying, you are a spoiled kid. And I would say, yes, indeed, I am. But we're all spoiled. If we know God's love for us, if we take time in Lent to reflect on God's love for us, then we remember that we are all spoiled. We are spoiled with, with God who longs for our redemption in such a way that we experience always a welcome home and a grace received, a grace experienced should be a grace lived and a grace shared. A grace received and experienced should be a grace lived and shared. If you've experienced God's grace, if you reflect upon it, then to know that that's something to be shared with a special eye for the wayward ones who might not know what it's like to be welcomed home, who might not know what it's like to be embraced. 
this is our gospel within the gospel story of these two lost sons. Familiar, we could spend time and time again reading it, finding new insights in it, identifying with it freshly through God's Holy Spirit. But maybe the call today is simply, who do you identify with and how does that remind you of grace received and experienced, that it can be grace that is lived and shared? And that this is serious and also enjoyable. In fact, knowing that I was preaching on the prodigal son when my dad offered that I could take mom's Mustang, and I said, are you sure? And he said, all that I have is yours. Let this story be more familiar in your life, not just as a cultural idiom, as a phrase in which we're actually misusing the word prodigal, but as a way in which we embrace and as we check ourselves to make sure we're not adopting some older brother thoughtfulness. This is a popular story, and it's been reworked in different ways. And I'd just like to close with this. It's one of the longest alliterations that I know, and some of you might have heard this before, and so just hear it one more time as a different way to get at this text. This is the prodigal son in the key of F. It's something that my dad heard actually at, a insurance, at an insurance convention because the story was familiar enough that the speaker used it in a public setting. And it was so good that we decided that we both had to print it and tape, tape a copy of it in our tractor cab windows so that we could memorize it in the next season. So while shredding stalks on the DeYoung Northfield, about 120 acres of shredding stalks, you've got to find something to do. The prodigal son in the key of F. Feeling footloose and fancy free, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over the family finances. Fleeing far to foreign fields, he foolishly frittered family fortune, feasting fabulously with floozies and faithless, faithless friends. Finally, facing famine, finding himself fleeced and forsaken by his fellows in folly, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. He feigned to fill his frame with the foraged food of the fodder fragments. Phooey! Father's flunkies fare far fairer, forlornly found the fugitive, frankly facing facts. So facing famine, fleeced and forsaken by his fellows in folly, he forthwith fled to family. Falling at his father's feet, he floundered forlornly. Father, I flunked and forfeited family favor. But the faithful father... Forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies, fetch forth the finest fatling and fix a feast, for the fugitive is found. Unfurl the flags, let fun and frolic freely flow. But the fugitive's fault-finding fratter frowned on such fickle forgiveness of the former folderole. But the faithful father figured filial fidelity is a fine thing, but what forbids festivity for this for the lost is found. Forgiveness must form the foundation of any future family fortitude. Finished. Let's pray. God, you show us grace time and time again in ways that bring us to tears when we think of being welcomed home, in grace that makes us realize the depth of our sin is no match for the depth of your extravagant and prodigal grace. God, you give us laughter in this space with people that we know and love and trust and care about in fellowship, 
in, with food, in joy. May we remember that this is to be shared, that others may find that they belong and are welcomed home. And may the grace that we read about, may you connect the dots in our souls that that grace may also be the grace that we know we experience and receive so that we may also live and share that grace with others. So if wherever you are poking at our hearts today to identify with, whether it be one of the brothers or the father, may it be in such a way of humility and joyful appreciation for your grace that we may love the way you loved, that we may approach the wayward the way you did, and that we may find ourselves embraced by you in this Lenten season where you long for our repentance that we might know and experience your redemption. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.